Morning Show. Hour two. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi with you here. You can follow us on Twitter, X, at MattyMar89, at Daniele underscore media. You can send us a text, 590-590, name and location. Okay, so I had this thought in my brain. You were going off on John Schneider about David Schneider. Now, there are some correlations here. No relation, obviously, between no, the two. No, no, no. No, but there's a correlation here between where I'm going with this point. Okay. You don't watch a lot of TV, right? No, not, not shows. Like, or... like you watch sports. It's just sports. Okay, yeah. but you are aware of Seinfeld, right? Yes, of, I, of, I'm uh, not. Never been a fan. You're not very well really versed it. in it. Yes. Okay. All right. That rant that you did on Dave on Davis Schneider, <laughs> and it not only do you have his wallet, you also wear glasses. Um, you have way more hair, but you sounded like George Costanza during that rant. It was fantastic. Cool. All right, it was great. I'll take it. Like, I mean, nice. Jason Alexander. It's one of the most well-known. And by the wallet, you mean that mine's like very. Daniele has back pain from his wa- <laughs> from sitting on his wallet. Like there, it's <laughs> it's thick. It's like you could lay concrete bricks on it to make sure that you can pick them up. It could up. be it's the not... foundation for a new piece of architecture. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Like you're, if you put it on the right side of your car while you're driving, it's going to weigh leans. down. Yeah. It leans. It's, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. So uh shy DVD is coming up in just a, a few minutes here. Uh, what do we want to do here? Let's go. Okay. Let's play. Um, let's talk. Let's Chris Bassett. Cause mm-hmm. Alec Manoa is going to be on the Hill today. Um, the Jays are who are they playing today? Because it's not on TV. On Detroit, squad. the split squad. That's right. Mm-hmm. We talked about this before. Yes, my brain's fried. Um, let's hear from Chris Bass. He, he spoke yesterday after he pitched with Ben and Buck, and on on what he's seen from Alec Manoa and why he feels like this is going to be a bounce back year for him. I mean, the the biggest thing is just like how effortless I would say, like pitching is to him again. I would say, I mean. I don't want to speak for him. I know he was going through a lot of stuff last year. So, um, yeah, I, w- I would say the biggest thing is he's not thinking mechanics. He's just pitching, like just playing catch with them. I'm like, man, like last year you were thinking about a slider, thinking about what I was doing with a sinker. Now it's just like playing catch, having fun. Um, and, I mean, obviously the hard work that he's put in, I mean, I think he's in a great spot. And, honestly, I mean, I think so many people look at a negative season or – kind of getting kicked in the teeth as a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. I mean, I don't think he's how strong he is mentally. I don't think he was that strong last year. Um, he's been through it now. So, I mean, what you say or what what happens, I mean, I don't think it's going to phase him like it would last year. I think the game has a beautiful way of humbling you and then obviously it has a beautiful way of making you even better than what you can be as long as you take it as a positive, and I think he really has. That was Chris Bassett. Uh, he actually spoke to the media after I got my uh, wires yeah. crossed. They still do I know, he, I know game, he did. I know he did speak way. to Ben and Buck, but that specifically was uh, post game, um, or for him post game anyway. After yes. uh, after he pitched. So, what was your takeaway from that? Because to me, that sounded like a lot of it was between the ears for Alec Manoa last year. Certainly not ability. It's it's uh, over. Uh, it felt like a lot of overthinking. I think that was. In large, I think a lot of it can be attributed to that, but I also think some of it is is physical in nature. Um, his fastball didn't have as much velocity and life on it as we had seen in the first, you know, year and a half of his career. 
um, his breaking ball wasn't, and, and I mean, his slider specifically wasn't, it didn't slide. No, it wasn't breaking. <laughs> it didn't have this sharp of a, of a break. And I mean, even the peripheral statistics will tell you that like the, 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 the dip in velocity was noticeable and the, the re- reduction in, in horizontal movement on his slider was very noticeable as well. Like there's evidence, um, tangible evidence that you can point to, which would suggest he struggled more than just mentally. I, I definitely feel like that was a big part of the, a big piece of it where he was overthinking and was in a position when instead of pitching free and loose, he was a, he was pitching to not make a mistake. Yep. And anytime you do that in any sport, whether it's baseball as a pitcher, as a hitter, basketball, as an, as a player who's trying not to turn over the basketball or in hockey, it's the same. You're going to end up in the same place, which is you're probably not going to perform very well because you're not allowing yourself to actually just be free and and untethered from any expectations. And I think he's in a much better place. I am very curious, and this actually illustrates one thing for me above all else. Spring training really matters. It's important, man. Sure it is. If you look at the, the the track record for the Blue Jays' opening day starters of the last two seasons. Go back to 2022. It was Jose Barrios that got the ball on opening day, and he did not have a very good spring, and he went on to have a ter- a, a, a terrible season, a rough season, not quite as bad as Alec Manoa, but it was rough. There were a lot of ups and downs, more downs than ups, and last year Manoa shows up to camp, had an awful spring, and yet they still gave him the ball on opening day, and what happened? He ends up finishing the season in the complex league, essentially, where he didn't pitch for the last two months of the baseball season. So to me, spring training really matters. This is where you need to actually evaluate what the players are bringing to the table. And with pitchers more than anything, it's a very finicky position and profession. That's why I'm curious to see how he performs, because I think more often than not, we don't want to put stock in a lot of these outings, but it mattered with Kikuchi. It mattered with Barrios, and it will matter with Alec Manoa again this spring. How he pitches, I want to see more velocity on the fastball. I want to see him have some confidence in the slider. Feels like he's added another pitch. Like I think it was a cutter, cutter he talked yeah. about adding yep. to his repertoire. So let's see it now. Let's see it, and let's see you throw strikes consistently because that was another big issue for him last year, where his walk rate was through the roof. So that's that's sort of what I interpret there. I wonder too about, you know, it, it, you know, the, the over, like the, the fastball doesn't have the life on it. I wonder how much, some of that to me is ability. Yes. But I wonder how much of that also is okay from, he, he referenced this in his, his media avail before the start of spring training. And it was, you know, um, from start to start, it was trying to tweak too many things. And I wonder how much that played into it. Like, just go out and let me pitch. Like, Pitching is so much mental that like when you have too much information, it's like quarter, it's like quarterback in the NFL. We talked, we heard about from Justin Fields talking about yeah. how just an overload of information. And I wonder if that same conversation was being had with Alec Manoa, just too much information. Just let me go out and pitch the way I know how to pitch. Can I give you my theory? Sure. No, he, how, no how dare you give me a theory? He was playing catch up the whole time. Yeah. And that, as a that's result, true. that's where the mental, uh, fatigue and second guessing comes into play and the overthinking comes into play. So I think it really dates back to 
how he prepared himself throughout the offseason, how he arrived at spring training, the way they ramped up his workload throughout spring training. And because of that, we he, he was never able to get his season off the ground and running. And he was playing catch up the whole way through. It just, it never, it never clicked for him. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, we're going to see what happens. We he's going to take, he's going to take the mound today. So we'll First see what time the, this spring. So we'll see what he's worked on. Shy DVD from Sportsnet joining us here. Uh, first of all, Shy, thanks for getting up for us. Really appreciate it. Um, how's the weather in Florida? <laughs> uh, it's gotten nice. Actually, it was, uh, the first week of spring training was, uh, very cold and rainy. Uh, but that has turned. It's uh, very pleasant, nice, like 21, 22 every day. Uh, and uh, don't want to rub it in because I'm not sure what it's like at home right now. But uh, it's actually it's not bad. It's actually not. It is supposed to pour today. It is supposed to rain, it, yeah. but it's like 13, 14 degrees today. It should be okay. It's certainly better than you know what we saw this past weekend, where it was like minus a thousand for well, February. I was gonna say like at the end of last week, we got into single digits and everybody was celebrating because you didn't, <laughs> it didn't feel like you were gonna suffer from any sort of frostbite out there, which was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, dad, that's, that makes me feel, I'm envious of you, Shai. Danielle's been waxing poetic about spring training it's, since last week. It's great, Shai. Isn't <laughs> spring training great? Isn't it just great to be, be around like baseball in its most pure form? Like just the sights and sounds of, of baseball. That, that, you're, you're in, you're in a great environment down there. It is wonderful. I, I will say that everybody around the game is like, this could be two weeks shorter and it would be perfection. And there's, it, we're not there. It, we were getting there before the period of games where it was just like, okay, this is really Groundhog Day. Just okay, let's work out again. Let's work out again. And then there's going to be a point of games in about a week and a half, two weeks, where it's going to have that same dragging kind of feel. And so if you could condense it into four and a half, maybe five weeks, as opposed to the six and a half, seven, then all of a sudden, I think you're right in that sweet spot. But yes, it's, it's tremendous. You think, Shy, they've ever actually had those discussions? Like, has that ever been a major talking point between the league and the PA in terms of maybe condensing it and shortening it a little bit that we don't necessarily need a month's worth of, like, ramp up before we play regular season games? Has that ever been tabled in discussions? Like, not in a serious way, but it's come up lots of times. And I think the shortened spring ahead of the lockout season, what was that, uh, twenty? coming out of the lockout was at 22 uh, that spring where they did it in just about four weeks. I think a few guys felt that was a touch short, but if you could just expand it, like add one more week to that, that's sort of just the right, right amount of time. But I, the other element that's a part of this is that all these places in Florida and Arizona have committed millions of dollars to building facilities for these teams. They want a certain amount of time. The, certain number of games, the tourist activity that comes along with that. There's, you know, an unspoken commitment there that, or we'll, we're going to generate some economic activity for you as repayment for this lovely venue that we have. Um, Shai, so we, we talked in the last hour about our power rankings, our, our top five. So, uh, Danielle, can you refresh? You had Bo. Yeah, let me go with your five. So, so my my top five, and I'm going to go in reverse order here. So number five was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Right. Number four was Bo Bichette. Number three was Kevin Gosman. Number two was Alec Manoa. And the number one for me was actually George Springer. Okay, so my five was uh, Barrios five, Manoa four, 
Kirk three, Bo two, Vladdy one. Uh, we gave you a homework task last night. Um, who are your power ranking top five players for this season? And so just to, I'm clear on that criteria. These are the most important players to the Blue Jays for next, for, for 2024? Yes, yes, sir. Okay, so I'll go Bo one, Vlad two, and you can flip those either way. Gosman three, Rios four, and maybe Jano Kirk five. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So the tandem. Okay. So I'm curious because I wanted to talk about Burrios in there because the reason why I threw him in there was he feels like the guy that can kind of be, you know, the difference maker in the rotation in that. I think I know what I'm getting from Gosman. I think I know what I'm getting from Bassett. And if Kikuchi and Manoa flip roles, they kind of cancel each other out from last season. Whereas Burrios coming off of that 2022, where it was as much of a roller coaster as I've ever seen from a pitcher with the ups and downs. I feel like what we saw last year is kind of what we should expect, but there's still that part of me that thinks back to 2022 and going, okay, we've also seen this side of him. For you, what is the why do you have Barrios in your top five? I'm curious to to get your take on that. Well, 2022 to me is just a total outlier if you look at Barrios' career, right? This is a guy who's been about as consistent as they come around the majors in terms of hauling innings, hauling quality innings, being good. He had one year that was really weird, uh, really bad. Uh, and actually, within that year, there were a lot of good outings. Much of the damage that inflated his ERA came in, I forget the math now, but it's like seven to ten outings. So like two-thirds of his outings were either good or okay. So that year is not as as bad as it's, as the final numbers make it seem. But he's such an important guy. and. You know, like you could have you could have flipped him with Bassett. You could have flipped him with with Manoa. All those guys are really important. But if you have that tandem of Gosman Barrios and they're healthy and they're strong, then you're right away in a better spot than uh, a vast majority of teams in the American League. And so, having those two guys locked down the top of the rotation, it means you. And I don't want to say it's gravy, but they're anything that the rest of the rotation is doing is only deepening you and making you better. So, uh, you know, Manoa can certainly be an X factor. Manoa could certainly jump into that. If he gets back to where he was in 22, he doesn't have to be that. He, if he can be between where he was last year and where he was in 22, I think the blue Jays will do cartwheels and be like, this is totally fine, but you need a couple guys with upside and Barrios and Gosman are two guys who can absolutely dominate a game with their stuff, with their, uh, the way that they pitch, uh, with their uh, ability to go deep into games. On that point regarding uh, Manoa Shai, so you referenced the outlier season for Barrios, and I hope, and certainly Blue Jays fans hope, that in, in a few years from now we'll be able to look back and say, you know, the 2023 campaign was the outlier season for Alec Manoa, and it's not necessarily going to become the norm. And we're going to see him this afternoon for the first time this spring. And um, obviously he came into camp, looks to be in great shape, uh, is is added. It looks, seems like he talked about adding a cutter to his repertoire as well. Velocity, early signs are encouraging in terms of where that's at at this point in the spring and the ramp-up process. 
What key indicators do you think the Blue Jays are going to be looking for throughout spring training in monitoring his outings? What are the key indicators that they want to see from him as he ramps up towards hopefully being the fifth starter in this rotation? Yeah, and it's it's a good question because it's not necessarily going to be results, right? So if he ends up giving up some hits and and taking on runs, that's not going to be, oh, ring the alarm. It's going to be, what does his delivery look like? Is it consistent? Is he, is he getting that good downward slope uh, off the mound, where, which allows him to really pick up uh, the velocity and not have to force his arm and drag his arm through his own? That's one. Uh, two, they'll be looking at his command. Is he consistently throwing strikes? We obviously know that was uh, erratic last year. Uh, and then three, what does his slider look like? You know, is he, and I've heard this from a lot of people already this spring, but the way that they're seeing the bite on his slider, he's getting the movement shape right now in a way that he never did last year. And so if that pitch, if he's executing that in game on the mound, that's going to be another positive sign. You know, the cutter is interesting. Uh, It seems to me one of those, you know, spring training projects that every pitcher flirts with, you know, Yusei Kikuchi is experimenting with a sweeper too. Uh, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's going to necessarily become part of his repertoire, uh, particularly often in, in 23, the cutter might be a bit of the same thing for Manoa. Uh, but if, if, if he's commanding his fastball, if he's, uh, really able to get the good movement, the good shape on that slider that he had in years past, then that's going to be a sign to the Blue Jays that he's on the right track. Shai Davidi from Sportsnet joining us from Dunedin here on the Fan Morning Show. So when you look at Manoa last year, and I don't mean to dwell too much on the past because I know, like he said, we're moving on here. But when you look at what happened last year, how much do you think was mental and how much do you think was physical with Manoa? Because he he noted, you know, physically he made some changes, changed his diet, you know, spent a lot of time in the weight room. And then mentally he talked a lot about like, trying to tweak things from start to start. And to me, that is a, a measure of confidence in one respect, but also like trying to play catch up throughout the season. And, Oh, am I doing this wrong? And should I be doing this? When you kind of break it down, if you were to give a percentage, how much do you think was mental? How much do you think was physical? That's tough, right? Because it's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario where, you know, maybe you don't feel at your best physically And so then mentally, you don't feel confident, and then you're always looking to change things, and you're looking to make adjustments to compensate for what you don't have physically. And so then you're trying to get that thing physically right so you can feel better mentally, and you get into a bit of a vicious circle. That is the impression that I have. You know, he hasn't articulated it specifically that way to me, but it does, based on all the different pieces that I've heard, that seems to be a bit of what happened. And so, uh, yeah, these things are never, never just, it's never just one thing when you have that kind of season, right? A lot of times we want to have an easy answer or a simple explanation, but you have to look at it holistically. And he had a lot of things go wrong. He, he was at 200 and something innings when you count the postseason, the previous season, it's a massive jump in workload from previous years. He had the, sort of the lost year during the pandemic, which you have to factor in, in terms of how he built up to that 200 plus inning workload. And then he had to recover a little bit more in the off season, maybe didn't recover quite as well. 
as a result, ended up starting a little bit later and got to camp, thought he was in a good spot, couldn't get the velocity up. Then he's taking that to the mound. And then it starts becoming mental because you don't feel good about where you're at physically. You don't feel good about how the ball's coming out of your hand and what he's doing. So then you don't, you don't attack in quite the same way that creates doubts in your mind, which leads to doubts about your, how your physical state, which leads to further doubt in your mind and things can snowball. So that to me is more of what happens and how are you going to put up a percentage on it? I don't know, maybe 50, 50, I don't know. It's hard to put a percentage, but when you look at it holistically, it's not just one of those parts. Each one of those pieces fed into the other and amplified the effect. So I wanted to hit on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for a second. And in particular, the off season that he just had, um, obviously going to arbitration with the Blue Jays uh, for the first time in his career. And now Bo Bichette has been through it before. And Bo's also been very outspoken in terms of some of the criticism he has when it comes to the arbitration process. Now, I think both sides, the Blue Jays and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., have done a pretty good job of sort of downplaying any negative effects that might have, and the implications that might come from him going through that process. And, and inevitably, you know, the fact that both sides have to present a case in a room together. And, and you have to hear some criticism about the type of player that that you are. I mean, look no further than what happened with Corbin Burns. The Milwaukee Brewers ends up with a, an, 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 an eventual divorce. He's in Baltimore um, heading into the 2024 season. Um, I wonder, has there been any any rumblings about the state of Vladdy's relationship with the front office? Do you think the arbitration process had any sort of impact on how he views this organization moving forward? I don't think that's the case but he's not going to forget right the mm-hmm. that experience isn't a pleasant one and what happens is arbitration is based all around finding comps right comparable players who have or at the same number or at the same place and from a service time perspective and have delivered similar levels of performance and so who you comp that player to says a lot about what you think of that player. And so all along the process, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Pete Alonso, same service time, uh, same, same number of times through the arbitration process. Uh, they, uh, up until last season, relatively similar levels of performances, you know, one's taking a little bit of one area, giving it another area. Uh, that's, that's a good comp. That's a natural trajectory. And Vladimir Guerrero's junior and Pete Alonso's salaries have matched each other. Guerrero was a little bit ahead. Then they were even Alonso jumped ahead this year. That seemed like a natural comp that, they could have negotiated off. I don't know the specifics, but I, I would guess that the Blue Jays had a different comp. And that spoke to how they saw Guerrero. And so how Guerrero reacts to that, I'm going to guess that he probably didn't like it because he decided to that he felt that his number was right and that he wanted to take that to arbitration. And so that is a natural conflict point, right? And the fact that you won, you feel better about that. But it also says to the organization, like, hey, you guys saw me in a way the industry didn't see me or the way the independent arbitration panel didn't see me. And that's something that people remember. And so does that change things? It means you don't necessarily feel great about that process and having to go through that experience. I don't think that means that the relationship is over. The relationship is irreparable. That he's not going to 
sign a long-term deal, if they can get to a number that they agree to, it doesn't mean any of those things. But look, everybody has some point in their life has disagreed over salary or money with their employer. And, you know, the, it doesn't necessarily feel great. So uh, I think that's just the reality of the situation. I don't think it's going to be a major factor moving forward, but that also depends on what the negotiation next offseason when our, when Guerrero's through the arbitration process for the last time also looks like. I hope that our bosses aren't listening because I would like to <laughs> I would like to argue about my salary as well, Shy. Um, I just don't have I just don't have the same credentials as Vladdy Guerrero Jr. That's all. Um, I know you got to run. Thanks for taking some time for us today. Enjoy spring training and uh, you know enjoy the weather while you can because it'll be cold and rainy when you come back. So enjoy it while you can, Shy. <laughs> Oh, with, on that uh, happy note, thank you very much. No. <laughs> there he goes. Appreciate it, guys. There he goes, Shai Davidi <laughs> from Sportsnet. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are in action tonight against the Vegas Golden Familiar Knights. Familiar foe, man. Familiar foe is right. Um, I still got to read you that text, the late night text oh, from yeah. Uh, yeah, our text line. Please we haven't don't, hit that one yet. Yeah, please don't let me forget that. Uh, also, there's a question about the goaltending carousel in Toronto now. Is there is there is there a, mis- a mystery a mystery candidate? Yeah. Ooh. We'll talk about that when we come back. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi. This is the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet five ninety. The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling dealing. It's Matt Marchese and Daniele Franceschi here on the Fan Morning Show. Don't steal Ric Flair's gimmick, Matty. A happy belated birthday to the legendary <laughs> Ric Flair, who doesn't drink water. <laughs> that was, I can't remember where I heard that, but it was on a podcast he did. Or maybe it was Hulk Hogan talking about, yes, it was Hulk Hogan talking about Ric Flair. And he basically said, like, I've never seen Ric Flair with a bottle or glass of water in his hand. And and Hulk Hogan's owned Ric Flair a long time. It's got to be the least surprising thing I've heard, to be yeah. honest, given the history and, and what we know about Ric Flair. Yeah. Not surprised in the least. I want I can't remember where I had heard it. So, I think it was Tony Hinchcliffe is a comedian. And he was talking about like being at an event where Ric Flair, it was like a, an autograph signing and Ric Flair like cut it short by like two hours. He's like, oh, let's just go to the bar. <laughs> so they go to the bar and he just, it just vodka cranberry, like, oh. like it's his job. And Tony Hinchcliffe was just like, I can't keep up with this guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm pretty and sure it was Tony was Hinchcliffe. 60 years old at the time too, probably. If, if, <laughs> and no, he was older than oh, that. Older than that. It was like three years ago. Oh my goodness. Because he's what, 75 now? Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. Please don't, Rick, please don't get in the, if you're listening to this, which I know you're not, please don't get into the ring anymore. No, no, we've seen it. We're good. We don't need to see it again. Yeah, we're, we're okay. Um, A question of, are we okay is with the Toronto Maple Leafs and where they stand right now. And I, you posed this question yesterday and I thought it was, it was good. Um, And I'm not just trying to toot toot the horn here, but um. It was, it, it got me thinking. And your question was, which part of the lease are you most comfortable with? And which are you most concerned about? Yeah. And I thought a lot about this and I feel like we're going to have the same answer for what we are okay with 
for me, it's the forward group. I'm okay. If it stays like this, I think there's depth there. They've performed well. Pontus Holmberg has proven that he's a, an NHL player. The same with Bobby McMahon. Mm-hmm. The same with Nick Robertson. Um, you already knew David Camp was. And you're going to get Cali Yarncroke back. And Ryan Reeves lately has been less of a liability than he had been earlier in the season. I guess that's what happens when you get sat down for a bit and you're like, mm, I probably should do something to be better. So the four, is the forward group the, the least concerning for you as well? Correct. Uh, my biggest source of confidence right now is the forward yeah. depth. Yeah. That's that's what I had listed. For you sure. have the elite talent. And I think I think we have more confidence in the group because of the way that this latest line shuffle has worked out. I think that's a big part of it. Like, I wouldn't have said that had this line of John Tavares, Bobby McMahon, and Nick Robertson not worked. Because mm-hmm. I feel like... For sure. You know, it has elevated John Tavares, but I also think that Max Domi with his speed has elevated William Nylander a little bit as well. Not that he needed help, but it's it's a nice compliment to have somebody that you could skate up and down the ice with. That's so. that's the key word there. You just you just said it, compliment. I feel like they've finally found some line machinations that complement one another. And I think at times they've struggled to have that holistic approach and that sort of holistic lineup construction in which every line is able to feed off one another. But it feels like with this current arrangement, for whatever reason, it's working. And so I would be perfectly content if they were to stand pat in terms of the contingent of talent that they have up front right now. So that for those reasons, um, and I think the biggest being the fact that it feels like these guys really complement one another very well, and the lines are all fulfilling a specific role, embracing their role and what they bring to the table. Uh, that That's why I, I view it as my biggest source of confidence uh, at this point of the season. Okay, what's your biggest concern? Because this is where so we may differ. Yeah, I think we will differ because I, I went a little bit more um, philosophical okay. in my answer. It's a little bit more intangible rather than something that we actually physically see like a player or a specific part of the roster. It has to do with toughness. And okay. my biggest question, and I've said this for a long time with this, this team, it, and it continues to be my biggest point of contention and concern is, are they playoff tough? Like this most recent seven games sample would suggest they probably could be, and and you see it now where I'm starting to believe that this group is capable of carrying and translating that level of play, that level of intensity into a playoff series. That being said, history would tell us otherwise, and it all circles back. As fu- It's funny enough, oddly, as much as I'm confident in the forward group and the depth they have up there, a lot of that having to do with there's elite talent, there's good complementary pieces – my source of consternation when it comes to toughness lies in the core guys. Can I trust those guys to consistently deliver and play a little bit, a a more chippy feisty brand of hockey come April, May and God willing, potentially June one in, in some of one of these years. Can I trust them to do that? in the biggest moments and in the biggest games. And that has always been, I think for the, it's been a recurring theme for the last several years. I even remember Maddie, this, this, this goes back to an exercise that Jesse and I, Jesse Rubinoff and I did um, leading up to like, I think it was before the new year. And we, we went through new year's resolutions and my resolution for the Maple Leafs was 
to be tougher to play against. Yeah. And toughness doesn't just mean it doesn't entail being more physical. It's no, a me- mindset. Mentally tough. And yeah, no, I it's an attitude, yeah. right? It's it's about having that sandpaper sprinkled in throughout your lineup, and it starts with your best players. That's why I'm still not sold. I need to see it in the playoffs before I can truly believe it. My concern is the defensive unit. I just look at this group and I say that's not a, a group that can win a Stanley Cup. I, I don't think that the I don't I think it's a personnel issue. I don't think it's necessarily the way they play. I just don't think they have enough good defensemen. They have decent defensemen, but Simone Benoit is not a number four. He's a number six. Mm-hmm. Timothy Lilligren is not a number three. He's probably a number five. Sure. Morgan Riley's not a number one. He's probably a number two. We Correct. can keep going down the list. Yep. Jake McCabe is like a, a five he's, six. He's a nice yeah. TJ yeah, Brody's a like nice a, a four five. Like that, they're not guys that they don't get and, and Mark Giordano is probably a six or a seven. They just don't instill a lot of confidence. Now you could play very good team defense, but sometimes you just need to be good at your job. And and not that they're not, but I don't think they're good enough to be a Stanley Cup contending defense. And I also don't think, as per the poll question that we had today, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, that we put out late last night, was I also don't see the big splash happening. I see them kind of tinkering around the edges. I could even see a scenario and could talk myself into a scenario where they do nothing because they don't have the assets. You know, we talked with Frank Saravelli yesterday. Yep. The group that is out there that is available is not good enough to make you better, or you're not willing to pay the prices for that. I don't imagine that outside of making a big splash that they're going to move their first-round pick. I don't think outside of having, you know, pieces that will help you for the future and a long-term future that guys like Easton Cowan and Fraser Minton or uh, Topi Niemela are going to be moved either. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. I know a lot of people would say goaltending, but I don't know. Like we've seen them kind of ride this wave all year. You know, Joseph Wall was yeah. first and then, yep. and then it was Martin Jones mm-hmm. and now it's Ilya Samsonov and Wall's coming back. And like, I think there's a lot there. Spe- you want to do the goaltending thing? Now? Yeah, I think we should do the goaltending sure. thing now. Let's do it. Here is Sheldon Keefe giving us a Joseph Wall update, and then we're going to play another clip after, um, all of which are very, very interesting. <laughs> it was an important day just to get him back uh, with the NHL guys and see where he's at after last week. And uh, I, he, looks, he looks good, uh, says he feels good, um, but uh, since the practice has ended, I haven't had a chance to talk to the medical team or anything What, but what comes next. But... Uh, for today, just in order to get a full assessment on on Wall, we uh, you know we had Jones just do a goalie session. We want to keep it just two goalies on the ice to give them each their own net, and um, it'll be sort of a, a day-to-day thing here as we're getting Joe back up to speed and and managing the three guys. Okay, so there's your Joseph Wall update. Now, Nick Kiprios from Kipper and Born was on Sportsnet Central last night and gave us a little insight into what's going on in Leafland with these goalies. Here's Nick Kiprios. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of juggling from here on in, and it's just not about Joseph Wall coming back, but it's also managing uh, how many games they want him to play, how aggressive do you want to be, and how do you prep this guy to give Joseph Wall and the team the best chance to hit the height of his season right around game one of the playoffs. So I don't think that there's going to be a heavy taxing workload for him. So what does that mean? 
finding ways to move Samsonov in and out from here on in, and then also have that third goalie. Yeah, I do believe that they're going to be carrying um, three goalies, and if they don't, uh, don't specifically in the next week or two, it might just be because they want to make sure that the, the cap fits right. They can waive Martin Jones if there is a if there's a chance he could get picked up, and I think it's still a long shot that someone would put a claim in for Martin Jones. There's Matt Murray that's slowly getting ready uh, to to make his return, but that won't come probably till the last weekend of the season or possibly be ready to be a third goalie in game one in the playoffs. So there's a lot of options still for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think they're going to work that flexibility in. Matt Murray? Is he the third man? He's the third man! What the hell is going on here? (laughs) Is Matt Murray the third man a la Hulk Hogan joining the NWO with Scott Hall, RIP, and Kevin Nash? What was your reaction? Because I hadn't even heard that. And then, you know, producer Jeff Azaparty tells us, like, by the way, Matt Murray. And I went, come on. No way. I thought Matt Murray was I think it's a toast. Lo- I think it's a long shot, but Sheldon Keefe alluded to it yesterday. He's seeing pucks. He, he said he's seeing pucks. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean he's walking down the hall and there's a bag of pucks and he's seeing pucks? Or is he actually... Or did he get his eyes checked and he got LASIK or something? I could, I could, I could definitely use some LASIK. His contact lenses suck. I don't know. You can interpret that however you see fit. But I think... Okay, first, in terms of Matt Murray, I think it's still a long shot that he factors into the equation in any way, shape, or form. That being said... They are We've an, already seen Martin Jones factor in, though. No, like, I, know, I mean, I this know, is... but, but that being said, they are in an interesting position when it comes to roster decisions, and it's a bit of a crunch. Now, they have some options here in terms of, okay, we can wait until deadline day, which is next Friday, and that'll rid them of the 23-man roster rule so they can essentially, as long as they're cap compliant, they can move guys up and down and do as they see fit. But the problem right now is, well, with Wall and Giordano having to be back on the roster, puts him at 23. Callie Yarncroke looks like he is inching ever closer to being ready. Mm-hmm. So if they want to get Yarncroke in, it's not it's not mandatory. But if they were to, eager to get him in before the deadline, say he's ready Thursday or Saturday, they would need to then ship somebody off the roster. And who does that become? Because there are only three guys that are waiver exempt, and those three guys are Nick Robertson, Pontus Holmberg, and Matthew Nyes. We know Nyes isn't going anywhere. Pontus probably not going anywhere. Robertson's an interesting one because what happens when Yarn Croak is back, and does he take his spot? And if that's the case, then maybe, unfortunately for Nick Robertson, he ends up again being the odd man out when, even though right now he's playing some really good hockey. I just think it's a it's a very interesting situation, and the easiest solution to me is probably still to throw Martin Jones through waivers. So I had a couple of thoughts on this. One, I think that, I I mean, you probably don't want to carry just six defensemen, but William Lagesson going, yeah, getting waived is probably, because those defensemen, they appear on waivers every so often. Yes. So I'm less concerned about that. Here's the other one that I had thought. Has Noah Gregor become expendable too? With the improvement of Pontus Holmberg playing on that fourth line, Bobby well, McMahon. Well, let's, let's be clear. You were advocating in the break. 
one of the breaks earlier. I was saying Ryan Reeves. Get is rid probably, of Ryan Reeves. No, Sterling, no, not get rid of him. Sorry, no, you can pass. I, you, okay, I, I you agree. Are, you could pass him through waivers, and he, nobody's probably gonna. That, that's what my yes, take was. Yes, yeah. sorry. He's the Easy one. Costanza. Sorry, you you were advocating <laughs> for him to be placed on waivers, and now we've gone to Noah Gregor. Uh, but Noah Gregor is the guy that hasn't been able to get in the lineup. Here's the thing: I do like Noah Gregor and the speed that he brings to this lineup. Mm-hmm. But do they have like? Is Pontus Holmberg kind of a souped-up Noah Gregor? Not as fast, but he offers you a little bit more offensively than Noah Gregor does. I agree. The one thing with with Ryan Reeves is he does have an intangible that the other guys don't, and Correct. that he's tough. Yes. And he hasn't been a liability lately. So that's where I kind of, you know, clearly, clearly they do not, not that they're not worried about Noah Gregor, but he hasn't been able to get into the lineup. Mm-hmm. In a game on Saturday where I thought it was a lock yep. that he was going to get in against a fast Colorado team, he did not get in, and it was Ryan Reeves. So are we maybe at that point where it's like, okay, you're, here's the other thing. Who would you rather have at this point? Cal, like, you'd rather have Callie Yarncroke than Noah Gregor. For you'd sure. rather have Callie Yarncroke than probably Ryan Reeves. Yes. And you'd rather have Mark Giordano than William Loggison. That's fair. So, yeah. so we're – so. The Loggison and Giordano, yeah, the, the Loggison yeah. Giordano thing makes a ton of sense for me. Um, from the perspective of the forward group, there's a, you can also trade your way out of this problem too. Sure, like if you sure. are, if you are, it requires the Maple some Leafs, patience, but yes, yeah, if you are the Maple Leafs and Yarncroak is coming back, and you can flip. Noah Gregor for a, a, set, a conditional seventh round pick or something like that. At least you get maybe something in return. You can do that. I don't see outside of a big blockbuster. I don't see really any of, of the other forwards being moved. I agree. I, I agree. This is why, I mean, you, you, you shared that poll last night on, on Twitter, not X on Twitter. And I, boy. I, I respond. I've converted. And, and my response uh, was, I think it was the second option, which was, you know, moves on the fringes. Like I, I think that's probably I think that's what, what they it's going to end up do. being. I think that's what they can now, do. And I, and I, I think, and Frank mentioned it yesterday. He's like, it's probably eating at Brad Tree Living that he hasn't been able to make a big splash because he's he's got such a propensity for at this time of year swinging for the fences, trying to make the big deal, go out and land the biggest fish possible. But maybe the most prudent thing is to exercise some restraint and patience and not make that move, not sacrifice future assets. Even Gord Stellick was advocating for that yesterday when we spoke to him. He talked about, hey, they've gone down this road three times already, like in as many years. It's been, we we look back uh, to the 2021 deadline where they shipped off a first round pick as part of a, the Nick Foligno trade. 2022, they ship off a trio of draft picks, including a pair of second rounders to get Giordano. Then last year, there's another first round pick out the door in the O'Reilly transaction. So, at some point, you got to show a little bit of restraint. The problem is if the team keeps playing well, let's say the streak even is extended further, and then there's going to be uh, an outcry from fans to say, okay, well, the players have showed you that they are capable of actually going and making a deep run here. Support them. Give them more support. Give them extra additional assets that can augment the roster and put you in a better position to have success come April and May, hopefully, and beyond. And I think it's it's an interesting discussion to have, and I'm very curious to see where they sort of wind up. And, and yeah, it's, it's kind of going to be 
it's either we're going to buck the trend here with Bradtree living or he's going to go and and he's going to succumb to the normal vices of wanting to make a big splash. Oh, I mean, that is always the, you know, that is always the allure. Uh, quickly before we, oh, we yes. get to something else. Um, this drunk text. It's, oh, not, a, yeah, it's not a drunk text, but it's it's a text that probably shouldn't have been sent. This is why you don't do this. Like, don't don't drink and then text this station because then you get called out. Although there's no name or location. Shocking. Um, this was from late last night at 1150 Eastern. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Aiden Hill play for the Leafs before? I'm not even going to say what he called Kyle Dubas. Put him on waivers, but it wasn't very. Okay. Aiden Hill has played east of South Dakota for one season. That was with the Springfield Falcons. He has he has not even been anywhere near the city of Toronto in every stop that he has made. Let's go through it. Uh, Springfield, his first AHL stop. Okay. By the way, he played... Uh, in Calgary, in junior hockey with the Calgary Canucks, uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League, and then Portland. We're still not very east. Springfield, one time. Mm-hmm. Tucson, Rapid City, South Dakota, <laughs> Arizona, Henderson, Nevada, oh. San Jose, and Las Vegas. Sounds Nevada. like he's living the life, Matty. <laughs> what it sounds to me like is uh, this person should probably do their research before texting into this station. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. We have a pass. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm. I will give him a pass. I'm a nice guy. Yeah, well, that's the problem. You haven't uh, been in the industry long okay. enough. Uh, now time for the wake, for Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, 19-plus bet responsibly. You're, Let's see if we can make it two for two. <laughs> Let's go. The Leafs hosting the Vegas Golden Knights at Scotiabank Arena. Maple Leafs favored by one and a half, the puck line. Uh, the total, um, have we gotten the total, Azo? I'm just looking at my line. Oh, hold on one second. Six and a half, I think. Uh, the total Azo. is... Is six and a half. Yes, that's what I, that's what I had as well. There we go. Uh, the Leafs are minus one sixty seven on the money line. The puck line they are plus one forty five. Um, Vegas they're hobbling right now. They're coming into this mm-hmm. one a three game losing streak. They lost seven three to the Leafs at home. No Mark Stone. No uh, Jack Eichel. It's not looking pretty. The Leafs have won seven in a row, including that big win on Saturday night against the Avs. Aiden Hill getting the start tonight, the aforementioned Aiden Hill, who never played in Toronto or in the organization. Um, he got lit up for three quick ones against Toronto in the last one. Do you have Do you have a, a, a lean here? Ooh. You know, I'm going to reference something that our wonderful producer, Jeff Azapardi, mentioned in one of our breaks. The Leafs have such a tendency to be sleepy in these home games all the time. Mm-hmm. And coming off a road trip where they went 4-0 and and now the, the, the winning streak overall is sitting at 7, I'm very tempted to go Vegas here. On, wow. Uh, I'm very tempted to say uh, I'll take the... At I'll play the, Daniele underscore media play the if puck you'd like line, to chirp him. Play the puck line, plus one and a half. Even if the Leafs win the hockey game, it feels like it, inevitably it'll be close. I, I'm tempted to go in that direction. That would be my my lean here um, as of 7.54 this morning. So I love goals. Um, as someone who never saw his own end when he played, um, I was always the last back checker out of the zone. Um, that's why I'm You're sitting here. Will, that's why you like William Neal. That's why I'm sitting here with you. I have an appreciation for lazy hockey players. Um, I'm going to go with the over, which is paying even money tonight. There's something about the way this Leafs offense is clicking offensively. And they found, they found something against Vegas with that four check where they, and that's a good Vegas defense. Mm -hmm. They did a really, really good job of neutralizing them. 
And I think Vegas is going to come out with a little piss and vinegar tonight because they're not happy that they lost 7-3 on home ice. So this one will be very, very interesting. Um, I also think the Leafs are going to win. So if I were to pair two things, I would pair the Leafs money line and the over. Um, I'm taking a big risk here going for two things. but We have a follow-up to the... Aiden Hill situation on the text line. Maybe I will brief you and update you on Aaron the other Dell, side of the break. And Aaron Dell instead of a- Aiden It is Hill. Aaron Dell. Those that is who they were for. They, those don't sound like the same thing. Well, he was, I guess it was a mistake. And see, this is why I am I am more sympathetic towards the folks in the text line. Aaron Dell, yes, was once waived by the yeah, Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, yeah, well, guess what? When I make a mistake, people yell at me. So when other people make mistakes, <laughs> I'm going to yell at them. I won't yell at you guys. Just... Just feel free to keep texting in, please. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're going Vegas money line. I'm going. Oh, I said it oh, on the puck, puck line. Vegas All right, puck line. Puck okay, line I like it. Plus one and a half. I'll, okay. I'll take that. I'm going Leafs money line and the over. Okay. That was Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. 19 plus bet responsibly. We're going to take a break. When we come back, a little more Leafs chat. And David Amber, host of NHL on Sportsnet, will join us. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi. You're listening to the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.